partnerships and word of mouth and community building. And I, I do wonder if the traditional VC function misses goggles of growth that then taking funding puts on you. It's so easy to miss yeah. community because having the money handcuffs you to timeline. I'm Margaret Kelsey. And I'm Devin Bramhill. And this is Don't Say Content. And shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. They're great at creating shows with strategic outcomes in mind. They've been with us since the podcast was just an idea, and they helped us bring it to life from strategy all the way to execution, and we absolutely love partnering with them. So if you, dear listeners, are thinking of launching a podcast, which you definitely should, by the way, we recommend having a conversation with our favorite people over at Share Your Genius. Now let's get into it. So I got a note on LinkedIn from a client of mine Mm -hmm. who runs a marketing agency and moved his family to to Dubai Mm. because he did an exploratory trip to see what the business landscape was there and found that there was huge demand for marketing services and actual money. And I, that's a nice overlap, right? When's the last time that happened here? He made the move September and was checking in, and he sent me a, a message that just made me feel not me feel seen, but it was like, yes, correct. He said, something is happening in the US. Marketing is taking a bloodbath, of course. B2B marketers are in for a world of pain. Talking to customers, the only thing that matters is making money. And B2B marketing is viewed as expense. Nobody cares about the open rates and click rates. They want meetings with target customers, period. They don't want to hear anything else. Plus add the market conditions, etc. It's not the same as it was even a few months ago. And these marketers are in for an awakening. All they talk about are activities, not tying to money. They don't know how. And... It wasn't a criticism. Yeah. It was a truth. And what I said back to him was basically, one, it's not all the marketer's fault. Yeah. We were operating in a industry and, you know, circumstance where there was a lot of money and for a while, not just in the past few years, but there's been a lot of money for a long time. And you had these big, robust teams, and most companies and founders still don't know how to run marketing. marketing (laughs) Yeah. And so in some cases, there were teams that were too big but not managed well enough, and then small teams. And what happens, especially on the the founder-led early-stage startups, is they say they want these bottom-line results. Mm -hmm. From marketing. But then 10 minutes later, they're like, we should start a podcast. Or my friend did this thing and there was this scattering. And so I think it did lead down to activities. So it's like the two things weren't adding up. Of course, they don't know how to report. And also, they probably weren't incentivized to. And I'm not trying to say that this isn't also a marketing person's problem because I do think they're responsible too. So I kind of agree with him. I'm like, yeah, marketing's kind of useless right now. And I don't mean that totally, but in a way. And what is really working across every single company I've talked to, whether it's an agency or 
startup is some form of community building and networking. So that's what we're talking about today because yeah. it's the only thing that I've seen like really working right now. And it's so funny because it's so opposite of what folks are thinking about investing in versus cutting right now because it is one of those things that without a defined strategy, it can feel very nebulous, wishy-washy, like, oh, if brands out there doing arts and crafts, communities out there just hanging out with people. And so talk to me a little bit about like, I mean, it's not that, right? You're not just hanging out with people. What do you think, like, if you were going to try to pitch that to a founder, what would you even try to say community is? That's a great question. And I think trying to define it too narrowly is a mistake. What I would say to every founder, and then I will get specific right after that, is you need to define for your specific company and customer and resources what that looks like. Because just like marketing strategy, what works for a SaaS company probably doesn't work for a construction company. And so trying to say it's like one specific definition, if I were to summarize it, I'd say it's utilizing your network and the like-minded folks in your industry to grow your company. It sounds like what you're saying is there's a lot of founders will will miss the thing right in front of them, which is that you probably know somebody that would be able to introduce you to somebody. And the more that you're relying on those connections to grow and build, it starts to compound on itself rather than thinking that you need to go out into the ether where you know nobody and sell and market into that place. Yeah. Or I would say they're already doing that and that's what they did to get their startup going and are probably still doing it right now. I think that needs to connect with your idea of what marketing is so that when you hire someone, that person can facilitate pretty robust river already flowing in a direction. So a few examples just from recently, because this is very nebulous, our partnership with Share Your Genius, where it's literally like they produce our show they get credit for making an amazing show, which has led to other people working with them and then asking us for straight intros. They're utilizing our network. So it's like one step away. And even how this podcast came to be. I w- spoke at a thing at a conference two years ago, met Lindsay from Casted, introduced me to Rachel. Rachel's now sponsoring our show, et cetera. There's like a little bit of here of like, your initial community can be the Tinder that then, not the dating app, but the actual definition of Tinder, which then helps you start a fire, right? Which is like, there is probably something if you look around that you can start. But that's even how my business goes to market, right? I think about those folks that I've worked with at OpenView. I think about the other people that I've worked with and startups that have gone different places And the ones that talk to founders all of the time are ones that I make sure that I'm keeping positive relationships up with. And then when I do have spots on on my roster, I get to just reach out to people that I like and be like, hey, people that I like that I would want to hang out with no matter what. (laughs) Have you talked to any cool founders that you would probably also think would connect with me? And I know that my business isn't a volume play. 
But it it works because of the fact that I'm only building relationships with people that I would want to work with anyways. And then they're much more likely to give me leads that are more aligned to how I would want to work and who I would want to work with. So that's, I think that's the interesting about community too, is like if you build it in the wrong place and if you build it just because, or you like, that's why I've always like kind of rolled my eyes at networking because it just feels like um, indiscriminate relationship building. And I'm like, no, if it's very purposeful relationship building with people that you actually like, then it can be super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Like networking is sort of the top of funnel. If you look at it broadly, some of my closest friends have come from a random networking event. It's not a lot, right? I think not going for everyone, but like-minded folks has served me very well because it shows actual results. For example, you know, I came into this fall wanting to fully launch consulting and was derailed by some health challenges. And it wasn't speaking at inbound. It wasn't even stuff that I post on LinkedIn. It was Kristen Kraft, who I met through my network over the years. We became friends. We worked together. And she sent me the exact right company I could help, was enthusiastic about, and that would help them too. So, And I think, Margaret, you're a really great example of this too, because you and I have taken different approaches to growing our businesses, right? I've been very out there. And I have a lot of criticisms of my own approach now, actually. And you chose a much more direct network approach, right? You said, you're like, I'm not trying to be a pop superstar. I really care about the work that I do and I want to find the right fit clients that inspire me. And so you went through your network directly. Yeah. Well, I took it from you describing animals back in the day as a speakeasy brand. I'm like, I want to be that. I think that's a great idea to be a speakeasy brand if you don't need the volume for whatever particular reason. And for you back when you were saying that at Animals before you kind of launched a a more public brand was because you didn't have the ability to scale the way that if you went out there and created a lot of demand, then you would have to force yourself into this very clunky scale mode that, that the business wasn't ready for. And I thought about that for myself too. I'm like, oh, for myself right now, I don't have aspirations of advising hundreds of companies in a year. I've over the last 12 months, I think I've had 12 clients and only usually three or four at a time. And that's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. I didn't feel the pressure to build these big demand flows and these big funnels and nurture people and have email sequences and yada, yada, yada. I was like, let me just build some relationships. And what I found are that the warm intros, especially right now when the world is so noisy, like warm intros and word of mouth is more important than ever. And it's happening at the same time where, you know, there's more marketing data than ever and there's more attribution data than ever. And so what people are looking at is the non, like the things that are measured, which are not usually word of mouth and warm intros, um, because that's a little bit clunkier. And so I was working with a client recently that has figured that out, that their best customers come from word of mouth from their happy customers. And so they've been trying to think about ways to scale word of mouth, right? Like how do you scale word of mouth in like a, in a marketing program? And what we've talked about a lot is not just like, oh, 
how do you incentivize that happy customer to go talk to their peer? But how do you create other marketing programs that do a similar thing that word of mouth does, right? And word of mouth is tends to be it relies on somebody's credibility. You trust that person because they have a similar shared experience or lived experience than you. They're speaking in natural languages like of what you would normally say in terms of like, oh, what is this thing? And they listen to your problem and then recommend a solution that's usually tailored to your problem. And so when we're thinking about word of mouth programs, when we're thinking about why community is so valuable, I think that there's even lessons in there that you can extrapolate out into more traditional marketing programs. But it brings back to that thing, right? Is the person that's delivering that message credible? Are they first listening to whatever signals that you're, you know, giving off on what your pain point actually is? And then is that response a tailored solution to the thing that would actually help you? And again, do you trust that person? Is it somebody that's trustworthy that you would actually look up to? And to me, I'm like, let's scale that. It's not just like, how do we make sure that more people have a, you know, a discount or incentive to, to share out your company, but like, how do we make sure that we're replicating those things, which tends to be the things that people will listen to? So One thing on the incentive front that I have seen work and something I'm really interested in is referral partnerships. Mm -hmm. I recall folks of credibility who, you know, were solo consultants ask us about that over the years. And my problem was I didn't have an incentive at the time because we were so busy. You know, we had three month wait lists. I just couldn't handle that and didn't have a need. But now that I'm on the other side of it, you know, find there are a few companies that I think are really good. I'm talking to people who need help and having that sort of a more deliberate arrangement actually does help because I was talking to someone at Inbound who needed help with something and I thought of some options and he was looking for freelancers. And so I like scanned through my LinkedIn and then I caught up with my friend Matt Solar from Endash this week. I was like, oh shoot, I should have just said you were the bulk answer. Like just go to you. And I know you as a person. So I know you're really going to help him out. And like, you're a good resource for that. And it'll be good for you. Like, but I hadn't thought of it. And I think as a consultant, like working into my offering where those places fit, I do think that does help keep it top of mind where it's like I'm organized in what I do. I've been seeing more like company partnerships happening recently that are similar in terms of how can we use our networks to help each other out. You know what I just realized as I'm sitting here? And again, this is a small data set. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But when I'm thinking over the last 12 months of all the different clients, the ones that have been bootstrapped have a partnership program, a referral program, and understand and are trying to figure out this word of mouth thing. And all of my VC-backed clients have not had the same conversations with me. As we've been having this conversation, it's hit me like a ton of bricks where I'm like, and I was like, oh, wait, that one? I'm like, no, that one's bootstrapped. That one is thinking about partnerships and word of mouth and community building in this way that, and I, I do wonder if the traditional VC function misses goggles of growth that then taking funding puts on you. I wonder if you miss a little bit of the forest for the trees here. Yeah. You know, and you think about, oh, what are these, 
repeatable paid channels that I can set up rather than what are these? How do I make sure that I'm building efficient growth with the thing that's already working, which is probably this like virality through communities where my I have product market fit. That is so interesting. Yeah. Very small, data wanna... set, but weird, right? <laughs> no, I don't think it's weird because I actually want to double click on that for a minute. The scale thing driven by VC VC backed companies is interesting to me. And as soon as you said it, it was like, it put a lot of pieces together in terms of other things that I've seen around these managed marketplaces and the strategy of building these sort of more paid communities, et cetera. And the fact that you're right, it's so easy to miss community because having the money handcuffs you to timeline. Yeah. And a time I was asking someone the other day, I don't remember who it was. They were talking about something they were, and they were like, yeah, we're going to move on this and we got to get the, and I was like, why do you have to do it that fast? Yeah. Yeah. What's with the urgency? <laughs> like, wouldn't you want to do it better? Yeah. Like instead of burning money, what if we like planted it in the ground and made it do more? What if the mandate, psh, I mean, crazy is like doing one thing and have it provide multiple results. Yeah. That yeah. was my thing at like every company I worked for is like when I could get them to understand, I was like, do you see how this one thing can solve like 11 of your problems or like through the way it exists already with just a little attention paid in these areas? Yeah. Devin, I've called that lazy girl marketing. I like want to trademark it. I want it to be like lazy girl marketing TM, where it's just like, <laughs> can I create one program that solves all of these problems? Because I don't want to do 12 programs. I want to do one program and I want to have it be really good and solve everything. <laughs> and I think that right now, that is what's required more than ever. Yeah. In fact, for the first time ever, I actually believe that like short-term tactics are really important because we are in a moment where things are still breaking. Yeah. Not just in our world, but in the economy and like everything is still breaking. Yeah. And so trying to make a prediction far in advance does not serve you. It will not help you. And but having a short-term plan towards progress yeah. Even if it's unscalable, I think is really important. I was talking to an agency the other day. It's a friend of mine, and they were giving me sort of, they were saying what they saw in the agency world that they're in. And they're like, so I, th- you know, I think we need to completely move to this direction. And I was like, why would you make any long term product decisions in that area right now? Yeah, absolutely is now. key right now. <laughs> In experimentation, this is the time moments of chaos are moments of opportunity. And clip that. It's true. It is important to understand the macro environment and how that macro environment is impacting your domain specifically. However, it doesn't mean you should be planning off of that. You should be using that to identify the nuance within your company, within your world that you can capitalize on and run some experiments that way. And I think that is where people will find, it doesn't matter if it scales, if it has impact now, just do that for a bit, figure the details out later. If all these newspapers like stopped writing these headlines about each moment, every day there's a new headline about 
fintech companies are all going to fail. None of it is important because none of it's actually happened. It's like, look at your specific set of circumstances, find things that work regardless of whether or not they're scalable. Like if it works just to hire someone to help with some sort of networking plan that is just focused on closing deals and completely ignores like broader awareness campaigns. Do that for now. Yeah. Well, I think this is an interesting thing too that I like on a, again, kind of hit me like a ton of bricks this week is that I had one of my clients, shout out to Practice Better, fly me to Toronto for their company offsite. And I did a little fireside chat with a CEO about growth mindset, right? And about what growth at a company, they've been historically bootstrapped, they've been growing really efficiently. And then they raised a little bit of funding to be able to kind of turn on these growth levers, right? To really be able to invest. And so there was a metaphor that I was talking about, about when you look at tree rings, right? And like the different years of a tree's life, sometimes it will grow bigger or more in that year than others. And it's usually based on the resources that it has available to them. So like resources help you grow. But at the same time, when talking about linear growth versus exponential growth, um, the CEO was like, oh, let's have a visual for that. And I was looking at these different graphs. And I've always talked about it in my head of like, oh, well, linear growth is you look back on what's worked, you get incrementally better over time, and it kind of steps up in that linear fashion. And exponential growth tends to be that you pick a plot on the map, and you build a path to get there. But when I was looking at what those graph lines actually look like, exponential growth, which is what VCs are even asking for when they give you funding, there is a dip and then it goes up, right? It is mm. flat for longer than the linear growth is, and it shoots up. And I yeah. think that there's a lot of that with the network effects and the compounding effects of community that, yes, when you look at it, which is what VCs are being like, want exponential outcomes. But if you look at the line, it's flat until it takes off, right? And I think about so much of that when you're thinking of marketing programs, which is, can you do the unscalable stuff? at the beginning. And then it's eventually has enough compounding growth that it can take off. And it's funny because I feel like that's a part of the startup industry that kind of got lost. Like that's how it used to be. Yeah. Like being scrappy in the beginning. And I think some of the things that we sort of complain about when we talk about sort of this new generation of marketers, we're like, they just want everything to be, you know, perfect. And they want to be told how to do their jobs, et cetera. And I think it comes down to that they walked into something more organized. The organization of it was a falsehood that we had some predictability in the way to build these B2B software companies and market them was fake all the time. But we just had created some semblance of, oh, just do this and you'll predictably have a unicorn. Right. Because in a way, there was a mandate both from the tools that made it possible to programmatize the unscalable stuff like engagement on social platforms, publishing content, et cetera, and then measuring it with those two things that were supposed to be benefits that were supposed to help to your point, they weren't meant to be the thing and we all made it the thing. Yeah. And like operationalizing the thing that then took off. But that's the thing that I'm finding so interesting right now is that the companies that have been bootstrapped, whether or not they've raised funding afterwards, have been profitable, which is now the thing that VCs are saying get to profitability. But these bootstrapped companies that I'm looking at that I'm working with became profitable by investing in community and word of mouth. Yeah. 
And VCs are now telling companies get to profitability as fast as possible, which I totally understand. But they're also then looking at cut the community and word of mouth and brand programs and only do this demand Jenny stuff, right? And to me, again, it feels like such the wrong call. And I was talking to a marketer after I, I gave that fireside chat. And they were like, do you have data to back up the fact that like brand and saturation eventually decreases the cost of conversion? And I'm like, I know I probably could find some somewhere. But at the same time, right now, if a founder doesn't get that, if a CEO doesn't get that, I just don't work with them. (laughs) I'm like, I'm lucky enough to just be like in the intro call, like either you get we can argue about or we can debate how much money you're going to give to each of these programs. But if you're not going to invest any money in saturation and brand and word of mouth and community, then I'm not your gal, you know? It's like growth has become so navel-gazy. CEOs are supposed to make bets and have vision. And that's just something so unbelievably lacking in the startup industry. I think in part because as soon as you have an idea and you get money for it, all of a sudden it's... Again, that growth, well, previously growth at all costs. If you're lucky, you have board members who have been operators before, but they did it at a time that the playbooks were different. At worst, you have people on your board that have never been an operator, right? That have only ever looked at how other people have done it and don't remember that entrepreneurial spirit of maybe they made it up when they did it, you know? And so that is a very scary thing, I think, for a founder to be surrounded by, especially in the seed stage of an idea is that you bring people onto your board and it could be that then you're surrounded by people who are giving you patently bad advice. Yeah. It takes all the vision away. You know, you take someone who has vision and they think, okay, all if I get money, like I can bring this to life. But the fact of bringing it to life through VC funding can also kill a lot of the creativity that you may have started with and focus you down in the weeds, which is the exact opposite of what a founder and a leader should be doing. They should be taking risks. They should be making bets. But they get that money and they start immediately become beholden to these results. And the people who I talked to recently, and this isn't across the board, but it's been something I noticed. The people that have VC funding are feel like prisoners. They're doing like exceptionally bad because basically there was an about face to profitability, but the VCs didn't give them any time. Yeah. And so what, to your point, they just had to fire everybody and are now trying to do a completely new thing, like reallocate budgets mon- with little resources. They fucked it up again. And it's like this whole thing, and I hate to like demonize VCs, but at time and time again, the same problem comes up. I am flabbergasted by how much time VCs are taking from their founders. And this is something I saw too when I was running animals. It's like the second there was a sniff of like tough times ahead. Yeah. It was like all of a sudden there was a lot of involvement and it wasn't helpful because it was fear-based. And it's like, can we go back to startups are just small companies. They're just a small business and they should grow. And it has to be so fast because of the funding. That is the reason. That is the reason for the pain. They want to return in five years, you know? Yeah. There's raising from friends and family in the beginning, et cetera. But it's like, how can we do more of that? Or can we change the nature of funding so that 
people can actually start doing interesting stuff again. That's why I've been so happy that everything's broken and breaking consistently is like folks are being forced to be creative again and think outside this like very tiny box of we should post on social and all that. I'm like, stop. If I was a brand right now, any form of branded social media from B2B brands specifically should just stop altogether. It's, it's just stopping an option. It's ads or it's your employees engaging in the communities related to your business authentically because they care about it. Multiple people from the company, yeah. your developers are engaging the dev community, your mark or influencer and- relations where you're getting those things and other people who matter in for your community in their feeds. My my new biggest thing that I have a bee in my bonnet about is going from company to company and having finance look at marketing by channel. <laughs> I really have pinpointed that this is the issue. Mm. It should not ever be that we're looking at ROI per channel. That's too reductionist. It's not correct. And every marketing leader should fight to the death with their CFO to look at marketing by program. And your program probably has a lot of channels in it. And some of those channels might overlap. And you can figure out the cost and you can say, oh, we use this channel for 30% brand and saturation and 30% conversion, whatever it is. You can make the case that maybe when you're splitting channels that there is some percentage of cost per program. But by God, the idea of breaking out by channel, I don't know who came up with it, except for it it feels kind of lazy to be like, oh, we'll just look by channel and then look at the cost per channel and then understand what's happening there. The other issue there is you're not taking into account people's hours and what that cost of the salary is by channel. And it could be that there's some channels where you're maybe not spending a lot of cash, but you're spending a lot of people hours on that channel. And that changes it. So again, by channel, we're looking at it just incorrectly. We're not lumping together the entirety of the cost. And it's too reductionist anyways. But if you can zoom it out and say, this is our program. This is this program. This is this program. Let's look at the blended cost of that program and the results of that program. We can start a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think naturally, then it looks at a longer period of time because you kind of can't chunk it out monthly. And then there might be, you know, you even think about how we think of CAC payback period. And now that we're being more thoughtful about over time, not just like these snapshots in time, but more like over the longevity of cohorts, what marketing is doing. And I know that that's hard to advocate for, especially if maybe you're a head of marketing that doesn't have a lot of interactions with finance. But if you can fight tooth and nail to not look at your marketing programs by channel and not have that argument with them, I think the world would be a better place. Yo. That's my new, that's my new beat upon it. (laughs) No, you're so right. And I forgot about the CFO component because I was... I worked with a company last fall. One of the things they were doing is a sort of thought piece around the rise of the CFO mm-hmm. and their influence and impact on a company. So it's almost like you're contending with two CEOs now yeah. in some companies. And CFO's jobs have nothing to do with marketing in a way, right? It's almost like the system that we've set up to produce growth at scale is the very thing that's facilitating incremental growth, except for a few companies that take off, right? 
What if the model no, those companies wasn't... that take off, I guarantee, are not doing this. They're not looking at marketing on a line by line, like channel by channel basis, and thinking about what to to cut right now. They're thinking about it holistically because they're going to have something truly differentiated in their go to market strategy in order to be the ones that actually take off. Yeah, and also it's looking at your marketing activities, but even your company metrics on a short timeline is oftentimes unhelpful. Like it works directly against you. And especially when you're going by channel. And I remember this was something I was reporting monthly to Walter on the business. And I was like, this is such a waste of my time because it changes. It's like the trend line, right? The trend line is over years or months, whatever. Yeah. Day by day, it's like this. I remember finally I we worked to get on a quarterly schedule because I was, this is at least a fraction more helpful and actually helpful for me too at that point. Cause then mm-hmm. I was looking at three months at a time when I was going deep on the metrics of the company in each different department every single month, I was stressed. I was unimaginative. And so, yeah, wasting money is an inherent part of growing a business, but I guarantee you're wasting more navel gazing than if you just Took and a you know risk what, in- what doesn't go like this, the thing that I always come back to, the thing that people are like, the new SEO is paid ads. Like it's mm-hmm. the new thing that everyone's like, it's God's gift to marketing. Don't worry, we'll cut everything and we'll just put it into paid ads. You know what does not go like this? Your paid ad spend. Yep. You know what I mean? It's yep. not the way that you build that business. And yeah, maybe you can get to profitability a little bit quicker, but you're never going to get at that scale that you really want. Because paid ads will only ever go come like linearly or you'll get some competitors in there that then start to tank your results and you'll have to pay more and more money. So to me, it feels so unbelievably short-sighted to kill all of the marketing programs and just rely on paid. I know the reason why agencies are doing their marketing so that they can just, you know, make their money and yada, yada. But I think that this, the thing that I saw is like with SEO being God's gift to the world. It tended to be, I think, folks that started SEO agencies and started creating a lot of content around like, this is the saving grace of your marketing function. And I'm seeing that same thing with paid, right? There's a lot of agencies that are now like, it's God's gift to marketing and we'll do it for you. And I do think that there's a little bit of maybe founders and CEOs own lack of sophistication to parse out what is marketing versus (laughs) what is truth, especially on something like LinkedIn. Where it's maybe you should think about who's telling you that that is the way to go in your marketing function before you think about adopting that holistically in your marketing function. Yeah. There's also a whole lot in there. I want to double click on everything you're saying right now because it's so true and there's so much in it. Like I've been fired up lately, Devin. (laughs) I love it. I love fired up Margaret. If you build a marketing function that's very differentiated, that's very purpose-built for this period of time, and what we were talking about earlier in this episode, which is if you can think about building one thing that solves for a lot of problems, if you build a marketing program like that, and then your CFO comes and goes line by line by channel and wants to cut shit, like my tree analogy, it's like somebody being like, oh, they, we don't need this piece. I'll just bore right through it. And then the tree is going to collapse, right? Like if you cut off a piece of the tree, 
that you think isn't doing much, it's a fucking living organism. And if you can yeah. create marketing programs and marketing strategy that feeds off of each other, that's a living thing with like connective tissue within these different programs, it's so, again, it's so reductionist to go line by line in some fucking arbitrary thing like channel, which is just one variable. Like it doesn't, no CFO is like, let's go line by line with like message. Let's figure out which message to kill. They're not doing that. Channel's the easiest one for them to spin up and run an analysis on. And so that's the one that they're trying to go line by line and kill. Yeah. And it's just because it's easy to put it in a spreadsheet and it's easy to put a, a revenue number next to it. Not that it actually is really like presenting the thing about it that it's happening truthfully. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just the easiest thing to run an analysis on, which doesn't mean that it's truthful. Well, it's the thing they already know how to do. Yeah. And this is what I've been running up against when I've been talking agencies who are struggling or companies who are evaluating their marketing program is one, doing what's already done feels safe. And it's why so many people go back to it. Yeah, They're like, well, this stuff has worked before. I know about it enough. Yeah. I feel safe with it. What's the and thing? What I keep Nobody gets them fired is, for buying Oracle. But it's like what I keep telling people is I'm like, this is not the time for safety. Yeah. Moments of chaos are not about safety. They're about taking risks, being brave, and and there are strategic ways to do it. It doesn't mean like throwing all caution to the wind. Like you want to be smart with it. And so this is the time more than ever for teams to work together. Like the CFOs, heads of marketing, and CEOs need to be in cahoots to see how they can support each other for the overall objective of growing the company. But instead, what happens is each one looks out for their own department and they stop focusing on this big thing, right? Mind you, they all think they are. The CFO thinks it's serving the company health, CEO, marketer, but they're actually not because they're all coming at it strictly from their own lens and not coming together on it. And I think particularly, you know, on the CFO front, it's like, to go back to your tree analogy, they think I've they're been cutting so big on tree analogies. I've been so big. I've had like seven tree analogies this week. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we're going to double down on it because what CFOs think they're doing are pruning the tree branches to help it grow more. Yeah. But what they're actually doing is taking layers off the trunk. And that's the thing that truly makes that makes those branches grow actually. And so they're not in all cases, obviously, but. And I'm all for pruning. You know, you know me. I'm like, kill it, you know? Prune, There's a strategy prune to pruning. Yeah. There's a strategy to pruning. It's not like, just slash all your budget. That doesn't work either. In a way, it seems so simple. Not to actually do, but to see. And it's like, we keep beating on the same thing over and over from a business model standpoint to a funding standpoint, which leads to marketing. Yeah. I think once you have the ability to have the outside perspective, and especially when you start to talk to a lot of companies at once and you start to see these commonalities, before when I was working at a VC firm, I had a very VC-focused mindset. And now I get to be a little bit more autonomous in, in order to see how the dynamic of even the VCs play into this role, right? Even when I was at a VC, it was like I was thinking about it in a VC centric mindset. And now I can zoom out and be like, oh, yeah, this bootstrap company is over here and actually killing it. 
I can just see it for what it is now. And I think it's funny because while it can be frustrating to then be able to see how the system is broken, I have to remind myself that sometimes going in then and talking, this is news to people. And I definitely have experienced throughout my life, I think that if I know something, then it's commonplace and it's like not even important or interesting enough to share with somebody else. And I have to remind myself constantly, like there are some people that are just getting ready to think about this for the first time, right? The fact that like we shouldn't look at marketing by channel. I mean, I even just thought about that a month or two ago. I was always so frustrated that we were looking at it by channel because it felt wrong. But I forgot about the fact that like somebody just made that up once and then people started doing it. It's not like there was some like canonic law that came down that says we have to look at marketing by channel. It's just like it was the easy way to do it. So that's why everyone does it that way. And and I was frustrated by it, but I forgot to remember that I could advocate for doing something different, you know? And so I have to remind myself a lot of that, even if I can see things at a different level, it's worth saying the quiet part out loud to be like, this is the thing that is the issue, right? Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. <laughs> you know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Is it nearbound? You just missed it, I but I said, is it nearbound? Oh my god. No. It is. No. You're talking about nearbound. <laughs> I am never I'm, I'm never using that word ever. <laughs> <laughs>